And it's episode 66. I should change that because I will read the copy exactly as it's written. I like, I'm like Anchorman or whatever's on the teleprompter is what I'm going to (laughs) say. Okay. We're, we're professional podcasters. Hey, hi, hello, welcome to episode 66 of Trail Society brought to you by Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And we all survived our own individual versions of very cold over the last couple weeks. It was negative temps in Boulder. Portland has been ravaged by falling trees and and nastiness. How are you both doing? Yeah, thought out. Uh, The trails are a bit crap. I know before this, Keely was saying she's doing a lot of running on the roads, and I've been doing the same thing just to... um, Avoid the extra stress on the ankles and just frustration. And track, too. I saw that you had a a track posse out last Mm -hmm. week as well. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, how's everything in Portland? I feel pretty guilty because I was gone in Tucson for like the worst part of the storm. I was away for a week, but uh, I came back to like pretty disastrous trails and roads and like drove through a lot of roads the other day that were just so apocalyptic and there's still downed power lines like shredded across the road and like it's just kind of crazy but yeah JT was stuck in our house for like four days with no power keeping the fire going trying to make sure our pipes didn't freeze with the dogs and so he weathered the storm without me really well and then I came back when everything was thawed. <laughs> nice work JT. Was that a was that a planned escape from the weather or was that an impulsive escape from the weather? It was planned, but man, it was the best timing ever cuz it was like average so it was 30 degrees colder than average in Portland and it was 15 degrees hotter than average in Tucson. So the <laughs> delta between the two climates was insane. Oh my goodness. And I like completely avoided the winter storm in Seattle. I don't think it actually snowed in Seattle proper. Um, but I intentionally was seeking out some powder in um, Hokkaido, Japan for like 10 days. And so it's like, you guys got hit by winter. I intentionally did not run and went and skied a bunch of powder. And we're back here all in our homes somehow. Time <laughs> is wild. Time is a wild concept. Okay. Let's do this thing. But first, before we do this thing, and we got a lot of things to do today, we need to give a shout out to the folks over at the feed. Um, I just ordered my next snack box, and you better (laughs) believe it's all limited edition waffles. (laughs) He's in cream all the way. Steven's not allowed to have more than two of them. I'm setting setting a, a quota on his waffle consumption. But my yeah, my entire next snack box is waffles from head to toe. Um, what have you guys been? chomping on, nomming on, snacking on most recently? Well, I hate to say it, Corinne. Same thing for me. Limited edition waffles. <laughs> like a good... They're really good. They're so good. But actually, I've been up in my protein recovery shake game lately. Um, like having... And it's so nice to have it, uh, to have it warm. So the hack that I've been using for the cold weather stuff is for my... Um, for like the skiing and even like the cold weather, uh, cold weather things. Like I've been doing some loops on Sanitas cause it's been like, it's a nice loop where I could go out for like an hour, maybe a little bit longer and go back to my car to re- refuel. And I have warmed, um, scratch labs, uh, apple cider, cinnamon drink mix. And then for after my runs, I have like a, a warm, um, recovery shake. So I've been using the, the never second protein mix and I love that one. Um, yeah. Awesome. 
Keely, what have you been ordering? Did you guys hear Jade just go savage or no? No. Oh, I like Jade. And headphones. So great. Love it. Um, she did technology. Like the USPS guy, I guess. Um, I also got the cookies and cream waffles. It's <laughs> so funny. Like, I love that flavor. Anyways, um, so I feel like if anybody hasn't tried them, highly recommend. Throw them in the toaster, take them out the door. They're just so easy. I throw peanut butter on mine. Um, and then <laughs> you're gonna laugh, but it's literally I'm so predictable. There's a coffee ride out of Boulder. I just stocked up on their holiday blend and I did it again because they still had some. So basically now we just have coffee for maybe the next three months. <laughs> your your freezer is full of coffee from Boulder and so waffles good. and that's all yeah. you need. It's I love so it. Good. Well, if you all would like to try anything from the feed and the nice thing is that they are truly a one-stop shop with so many products from so many different brands all in one place, which means that you can try a little this and try a little that and mix and match each and every time. So if you would like to try anything from the feed, you're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And there still, I believe you can get a $15 credit every quarter. So $60 over the course of the year to use towards products from the feed. So again, www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And we're going to dive into results because you all racing, ultra racing, trail racing is back, baby. We <laughs> finally, we you know, we're four weeks into the new year. This will come out. Yeah. Right before the end of January and racing is back. We are doing the things. Hong Kong weekend just happened. The opening race of the world trail majors and our interview guest today, Rachel Drake, won the 33 kilometer race over there, breaking the course record by like 40 plus minutes, I think finishing fourth overall, mm -hmm. which is so stinking fast. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. in a 33K. Yeah. A 33K just flying over concrete and dirt and rock stairs left and right. Um, the 100K is kind of like the feature event of the race weekend. It's the race that is part of the, the World Trail Majors for this year. And the 100K did not disappoint at all. You're going to hear Rachel talk about the fueling strategies that she witnessed on the men's side. Um, it seemed like an absolutely wild race from start to finish. Um, Chinese superstar, Adidas Terex athlete, Lin Chen, who won the 100 mile at Doanthanon, also won the 100 kilometer here, winning by nearly an hour over fellow Chinese athletes, um, Ying Li and Wan Wan Yu. So just like absolutely stellar performance. She will be at Western States, which is a super exciting narrative to follow there. Um, Keely, you've got some potential strong bias towards the men's podium. So can you tell us what <laughs> happened there? Um, yeah. So the eventual winner and then the two-time winner had a nice little duke out at the end. And it ended up being that the guy who won last year, who actually had won two times before, Pei Kwan, ended up getting second to Guangfu Meng, who took the win. And then third place was our American man, Tyler Green, my coach, who got third and was only three minutes behind second. So he was charging like in total Tyler fashion. Had it been uh, 120K, <laughs> who knows what would have happened. But yeah, really cool to see that. He also texted me like right after and was basically just like, holy cow, <laughs> that was so hard. But also like that was so amazing and such a cool race, like such a challenging race um, and so cool to race like against a lot of Asian athletes because he hadn't really done that before. And so he just was like, it gave me the fire back. Like that was so much fun. 
Yeah. And they run super aggressively generally from, from the get-go, um, which is just always very exciting to watch. And I think we are going to see a continual rise of the Chinese athletes into more mainstream Western races, um, both in Western Europe and into the U.S. and North America. So we'll have a number of Chinese athletes at Western States again this year, which will be really, really cool to see. It's it's monumental for their careers to get to go to these Western races. So um, really cool to have the World Trail Majors kick off there. The Winter Spine Race also took place um, recently, which is insane. It follows the the Penny Way which is a long, a long route um, in the UK. And they do a summer race and a winter race. And Claire Banworth, I was writing Claire's Troy top 10 um, bio. I think she raced 46 times in 2023. I think that she was just continually racing essentially. And I don't know, you know, Keely, it's a high volume thing for sure, but it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think she's ever performing at what she could potentially do. Cause I think she just really loves like continually being on these long adventures. And the spine race is one of those long adventures for her. So she repeats as the women's winner in 92 hours and then kind of a surprise win on the men's side, Jack Scott betters the previous course record by 10 hours winning in 72 55 um, over Damian Hall, who had the previous men's course record. Um, So really an all-time performance. And Jack's story is really interesting. I think we're going to do a story on him for free trail. Um, He's got a gambling, or he's had historically a gambling addiction. Um, And running has been kind of, I think, think part of that that story as well. So really cool to see Jack Scott have a a mega day there. Um, I think we've got a couple, two more notices. One is the Coldwater Rumble. 100 Mile took place. And of note there, we're going to give a a shout out to our girl, Mm -hmm. Devin Yanko. So Jeff Browning took the overall win in 15:45. Um, Bronco Billy just doesn't slow down. But podcast favorite, good hot friend, on his heels too. Yeah, hot on his heels. Devin Yanko took the women's win, was second overall in 16:19, and mm-hmm. made it look easy. Like when Devin is on, she is on, and she had just run the Houston Marathon. She's training for the further Lululemon Project, which is a six-day um, running event. And so she's been kind of experimenting with some different training modalities, philosophies, kind of looking at that volume type of stuff, just like running at different times a day, et cetera. Um, so trained through this more or less. And I don't know when maybe it's like you take the pressure off someone and they just like excel even more. Um, so really cool to see Devin shine there. I wanted to put a special plug in for Shay Aqualano who came out to run the 60K. Um, She's back home in Indiana um, because her internship at Brooks had ended and was not like kept on in a, in a full-time capacity, which is I think a mega bummer in my mind. Um, So she's back in Indiana, but she went out to Arizona to run the 60 K at Coldwater Rumble as a tune up. And she won that in four hours and 49 minutes, not far off the men's winner. Um, And I'm looking for Shay to have a great day at, I was going to say you're coaching her, right? No, I'm not. I'm just a mega fan. No, one of of my coaching her because she's so young. One of my, I think she's a self, a self-coached individual Mm -hmm. right now. One of my athletes' daughters knows Shay, like is like was like went to college with Shay. And so I was introduced to Shay via one of my like adult male athletes via his like cross-country running daughter. It was very, very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been following along as she's really come onto the scene in the last like 18 months. Um, and it's just really cool to watch. So hopefully she has a great day at Black Canyon. Mega fan. I'm a Shay Aquilano 
mega fan. <laughs> um, and then wanted to give a shout out to the trail athletes running cross country. We had three really cool performances in the last week with Tom Evans making the British team, um, finishing second in their trials-esque race, um, running 30, a 30-minute 30 10K in what looked like extremely muddy conditions. Um, so he'll be going, um, I think I think Cross Country Worlds is in Serbia, I want to say. So he made the British team and then Ali Ostrander and Christian Allen, um, who many of you know by the name of Slim. He's got a sick mullet. And we put out a piece on Christian, I want to say when this comes out, like two weeks ago, about his kind of bid for Olympic trials performances um, that Ruby Wiles wrote for us. So go check that out. Um, but they both finished in the top six, making the U.S. team for Worlds, which is just really cool to see. Ali Ostrander's got a really interesting, very public story, um, having dealt with an eating disorder, coming kind of through the tra the college track and field ranks into professional road running and now um, running for normal. So really cool to see both those young but very talented athletes perform um, on the cross-country field. So there's that. there's that piece of the puzzle. We're going to dive into news before we switch gears and get to hear from our really good friend, Rachel Drake. And one of the, one of the first things that came up, um, Keely, I think I'm gonna let you handle this one or take this one is a new Colorado health bill that passed recently. Yeah. So before I dive into the bill, I'm going to just give a little bit of a background so that everyone who maybe doesn't know some of the ins and outs of the healthcare system and the insurance system is a little bit more on the same page. So Many of us will go to the doctor's office. When we get there, they'll take a height and weight. That's pretty standard. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast where that can be kind of triggering for people who have issues with something like disordered eating or body image issues. And so, you know, taking someone's weight isn't always something that we want to have done at the doctor's office. It can be kind of triggering. Um, aside from that, one thing that's done with that weight and height measurement is it's given to insurance companies when they're processing claims. And so, you know, they're privy to that information and they can use it to make decisions on billing and things they choose to cover and choose to not cover. Um, and so up until recently in Colorado, if you were, you know, in the doctor's office and you got your height and weight recorded and that BMI calculation, which we all kind of know is kind of not very scientifically sound, very variable for different people. If that BMI calculation was not classified as underweight, insurance companies could take that information and decide to not fund treatment for someone with an eating disorder because their body weight was quote unquote healthy. Um, Colorado took a really cool stance here where they passed a new bill that actually provides healthcare protection to this group of women or men, where the BMI gathered in the clinical setting can't be used to determine if treatment is medically necessary. They just now look at the facts reported by the physician. So if the physician, you know, reports that the, the you know, the person is dealing with thoughts around disordered eating and experiencing different behaviors around that and really want to seek help for that disorder, irrespective of BMI, because obviously BMI does not mean you have an eating disorder or you do not. Um, they are now able to receive insurance support for that treatment. And so I think it's pretty cool that they're doing this. Um, what are your guys' thoughts around this? Hillary's like, go Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, that's great. I mean, no, I think this is actually really good. Um, I know that there is a, I mean, and, and I actually don't know of other major cities, but in, in Denver, there's a couple like national eating disorder recovery centers. And so I think, I think that's actually, it's, it's really cool. And I know people kind of have flown in um, to, to receive treatment. So 
um, yeah, I think I think it's actually a really cool uh, stance to take. Yeah, I think it'll hopefully push other states. It'll give precedent to other states to do um, that as well. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see that pass in Washington State. For example, um, we've got some like some prime treatment centers here um, in Seattle for folks that who have come come in from all over the country to be treated as well. So it's it's a huge it's a huge deal because it'll increase access to very needed medical care, um, which is yeah, really and it's important. like and it's like you know we can be preventative sometimes, right? If someone's complaining of eating disorder symptoms yet their BMI is still registering as healthy, right now we're basically like we're not going to help you till that BMI is worse, and so we're not mm-hmm. helping them prevent like detrimental health outcomes that could come from getting that BMI even lower. And so it's really cool too that this kind of acts as like a preventative mechanism for those that maybe would get to a lower BMI later that maybe they can seek treatment earlier, and then obviously it helps those who have extremely disordered thoughts with food or eating, but don't register as that low BMI. Cause obviously like people have eating disorders in all sorts of body sizes and shapes. Yeah. Yeah. Like important to, really cool. to state there that not all EDs have a weight loss, have weight mm-hmm. loss as a symptom and that EDs can be incredibly severe at any weight. And mm-hmm. so that will kind of take that off the table in Colorado, which is yeah, mighty, really mighty cool. fine. Mm-hmm. The next bit of news comes from a smattering of sports. Um, I just went on like a rampage of like all like cool shit happening in women's athletics over the last little bit of time. And so we've got news from field hockey. Um, The U.S. women's field hockey team qualified for the Paris um, Summer Olympics after missing the qualification for Tokyo. So they technically haven't been to Olympics since 2016. Um, So they missed the last Olympic cycle, but they will be in Paris, which is very, very cool. Um, We had the first female referee to officiate a men's Asian Cup match. So Japan's, uh, this is soccer, um, Japan's uh, Yoshima um, Yamashita, supported by assistant referees Makota Banzoa and Naomi Tashirogi, who are both women as well. So it made an all-female trio overseeing the game between Australia and India, Mm. um, which is mega news. So really cool cool to see that. Yeah, especially in, in a place like Japan. Yeah, like Japan and then men's men's soccer in general. Um, we're seeing more women in coaching positions in both women's and men's sports um, in the NFL, et cetera, as well. So it's really cool to kind of see that continual shift a little bit there, um, recognizing those opportunities. And then um, maybe the coolest one of the week that I thought was Stanford's um, women's basketball coach, um, Tara Van, Van Dever, um, became the winningest ever basketball coach for men's or women's basketball in the NCAA history um, when the Stanford women's basketball team recorded their 1,203rd win um, with her as the coach. So they had a really sick jacket where it had all mm-hmm. the like, um, like one, two, three, four, like kind of like hash mark um, to record all the wins on one jacket. It was <laughs> mega news. So um, that was really cool to see um, on the women's basketball side of the NCAA. So with that, we're diving into the meat and potatoes. Um, Keely, Rachel is, Rachel's one of your besties. Um, and her baby boy is obsessed with you. Apparently he only cries when you leave. So I would love to hear you give a little Rachel Drake intro before we dive into the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Our guest this week is a local Portland runner who's happens to be one of my best friends um, and also friend of the pod, but she's also on top of being a really great friend is a professional trail runner for Nike trail. She is a mama to Lil Lou. 
um, a medical student and scientist with her PhD about to be MD and all around lovely human around the world where wherever she goes, people are always like, Rachel Drake is just so lovely. Um, and she's known for that contagious smile and all of her kind demeanor. And she's been very open about her journey back to running lately, postpartum and what she learned about her body and her needs. And she's also been kind of on a terror where she's recently fifth finished fifth at the California International Marathon, first at the latest 33 kilometer race that was part of the Hong Kong 100 series. And she's gearing up for Black Canyon's 100K to shoot for that golden ticket. We are all big fans. We can't wait to see how she does. And we are so stoked to share our interview with you all today. We hope you all enjoy it. Hey, friends, this is Rachel. Hi, Rachel. That's all you're going to say, Rachel Drake. <laughs> uh, Rachel is a longtime listener, first time caller. Yep. Yes. We're so yes, excited to have her. Yeah, it's okay. We introduced you so well because you're an absolute incredible person, incredible athlete. So it's okay. You can be very humble per usual. I like to think I'm a good friend too. <laughs> oh, Rachel amazing. Drake is a good friend. Title. We're titling the the podcast right now. Um, I think to kick off, we want to talk a little bit about your pregnancy and postpartum return to run journey because we've talked about it a bit on the podcast in all different ways, shapes and forms. And it there's a lot of people that are getting a lot of really good value out of it, which has been really rewarding. And mm -hmm. as Keely wrote down in our notes that you are first and foremost, Lou's mama, and we love baby Lou. Um, and uh, I guess the big thing is that we want to talk a little bit about, about how being a mom has influenced your outlook on training and racing. And then if it's changed your relationship with running now. Yeah. I mean that it's such a multi-layered question and process like becoming a mother like finding out you're pregnant and that you aren't going to have the racing season you thought you were going to have and then having your body go through some massive changes and then also kind of publicly fumbling my way back to fitness um last year it's been a really long journey but something that I've been really grateful for and I've had a lot of support with as well um I think in terms of my my outlook, I think I feel I feel a lot of love from the community and from my sponsors first and foremost, but also I feel a lot of um just gratitude that like I get to be a mother and um while it's very challenging like athletically, I think there are also some real some real physiologic benefits as well. So it's interesting. Like there's a lot of different different ways to um, to think about this. Yeah. I was just thinking in my head, I was like, oh, and Rachel's like, I were hoping to start a family in like the next year. And I'm just like, and Rachel gets to be my peer mentor. And I'm so excited about I it. I love that. I would love that. There's so many great, great um, women to reach out to. And you have Ladia there as well. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of really inspiring moms. I, I recently met uh, Esther, who is uh, third at Western States last year and mother of two young girls living in Hong Kong. And she's just an incredible, incredible woman, incredible athlete, um, and also amazing mother. So it was really cool to connect with her and hear her approach to um, running postpartum. So it was very different from my experience. And yeah. I think that's an important lesson. Like everyone is different. Like you can't just take someone's someone's blueprint and think this is what I'm going to do, but it's so, so individualized. 
Yeah. And kind of speaking on that individual note, and we've had that conversation with Ladia and Liz Care, uh, yeah, Liz Carey here in Seattle, you know, talking about their individual experiences, Steph Howe, her individual experience with becoming a mm-hmm. mom. And we want to talk a little bit about navigating those initial, those initial months of pregnancy, those nine months of pregnancy and your relationship to running during that phase and all the changes that came with it. Yeah. So I, I think I was fortunate in that I was still in kind of the throes of medical school. So I've always been a little bit limited on how much I can train because of that. So I found out that I was pregnant actually the day before I was leaving for Bend to do a surgery rotation, um, which surgery is typically one of the more intensive, like time intensive and physical, physically intensive rotations. So that was a little bit crazy to be, you know, taken out of my environment and then um, be kind of confined by a a career path as well. And knowing that I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to run that much anyways, but um, you know, I was able to continue running. Like I actually, I think I told Keely that I was pregnant while we were on a run together and I think we were running down waterline in forest park and she just stopped and was like, Oh my goodness, gave me a big hug. Um, so yeah, I was able to continue running. I, I took uh, medical boards that summer as well at like maybe six months pregnant. So that was kind of a good timing thing as well, because I, again, I'm not going to be running hours and hours every day because it would just be too hard to do that while I'm pregnant. So, um, I think I was maybe able to continue doing like 40 to 50 miles a week for quite a while. And then that dipped down to 30 and, and that included a lot of walking as well. Um, Tyler's a, a high school cross country coach. And so as I, as we were waiting for, for Lou to make his grand appearance, I, w- I was going to practice a lot and doing workouts with some of the junior varsity kids. And that was really fun because they're all out effort mile repeats at, you know, nine minute pace was my also all out effort, um, for a mile repeat. So that was really fun to, to get to, you know, continue to push myself in a way that felt good. Yeah, felt, felt good, felt allowed you to allowed you to continue to move. Were there any was there anything, I guess, unexpected during that that you felt like you had to adapt to? Or I think this question comes up a lot about like identity and like that shift in identity that can be happening like during pregnancy and then obviously into the postpartum phase and and having that little <clears throat> new being out in the world yeah. with you. But what what was that kind of phase like? I think the the feeling of not having control was really challenging. Like I think as athletes, we're used to being able to like, okay, I'm in control of my, like my training. I'm going to do this workout. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to do these strength exercises and I'm going to do my rehab exercises and I'm going to be in control of my destiny. But when you're pregnant, there's so much that you can't control. And like the, your body changes so quickly and you just have to like, I tried really hard to not think of myself as like Rachel, the athlete, Rachel, the, the competitor, but like, I tried to fully embrace Rachel, the pregnant woman who likes to move her body, (laughs) like not thinking about pace, not thinking about, you know, what races I was going to do, but just like fully try to embrace that time because it really is a short period of time that you, that you're pregnant for. And it, it's pretty darn cool. Like, um, people, people are quite nice to pregnant, pregnant 
women I found that was my experience. So I, I don't know, it's just like, enjoy that really special time where you get to, to carry your child. It's, it's like a really beautiful thing to get to do. I was joking yeah. with my other friend, Rachel, that we're starting to refer to pregnancy and like trying to become pregnant as bulking season. And we're like, oh, oh we're just preparing gosh. for bulking oh, season. Like, yes. Bulking season's coming it. up, baby. Like that's I like been our it. new mantra. So, so good. Yeah. Mindset, mindset over everything. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think also it's just like a good reminder that most things that feel very insurmountable are at the end of the day, not that long of amount of time, right? Like Nine months Mm -hmm. is nine months in the grand scheme of your life. It's pretty small, pretty insignificant amount of time. And so being able to just fully dive into it and not like resent your body or try to push your body beyond what it's trying to tell you to do is so Mm -hmm. admirable. Um, We'll pivot a little bit to the pregnancy. Um, I got some fun rumblings from like throughout OHSU uh, that there was an amazing ultra runner who was an absolute champ during their pregnancy. And so just want to hear from your side how that pregnancy was and how was the experience like giving actual birth and why do you think you were able to get such high accolades and persevere through such a long event so gracefully you're talking about the labor yeah yeah <laughs> sorry I should have promised everything say, with labor I will say uh that's my most proud athletic accomplishment <laughs> right there like giving birth is it's an epic endurance feat um I went into labor I think at like 6 p.m on Friday night. And then Lou was born around 9 PM the next day. So it was a probably a 25 hour labor. An ultra. Um, ultra. (laughs) It was truly, yeah, it was truly an ultra. Like I was even eating gummy bears. Like, (laughs) um, I, I prepared for it by reading a book actually that Harmony recommended, um, Harmony Bowman uh, called, it was called, I think it was just called hypnobirthing, um, Mm -hmm. which sounds like, Oh, I'm going to hypnotize myself and just, you know, not be mentally present, but it was, it was really about being, hi Hillary. It was really about being, um, super present and like, like embracing your birthing body and like believing that you could, that you could Mm -hmm. do it. Um, so it was like, it was like the most deep mindfulness that I've ever been in. And a lot of it too, was like thinking about the world that you want your child to see when they first enter. So I was like, I want to be kind to the nurses and the doctors and like patient and gentle and like the baby can hear what's going on. So you, as the, the birthing person in the room, you set the tone and if your tone is, you know, panicked and stressed and angry, which all those things are totally reasonable, like considering what your body's going through. But I just, I tried really hard to be like present and create a space that, you know, when he was born, that it would be good vibes in there. Good vibes only, positive vibes only. I love that there was like fun rumblings around OHSU about you just being an ultra mama. Um, we want to pivot a little bit to what has been called kind of the the fourth trimester. I think Steph Howe introduced us to that term, that like initial postpartum period, kind of getting back into your body, getting back into more movement, et cetera. And also that like really important time that you get to spend with, with your newborn. 
You've been pretty transparent about some of those initial struggles and hiccups in your return to run, in particular postpartum, um, ultimately culminating in a sacral and a pelvic bone stress fracture. And we're wondering if you can walk us through your journey and kind of that reflection back on that time, if you now recognize any red flags, if, you know, kind of what you've learned from that experience that we can, we can take forward with ourselves and also our listeners can bring into their own, their own experiences. Yeah, I think this is super important and I'm glad you brought this up because I sort of had this preconceived notion that like I would just be stronger and like I would be able to, what do we say, snap back or bounce back, bounce back. Yeah. Um, And I, I wanted so badly to be one of those people that could just like run a 50K four months after giving birth and kick butt and be super strong and healthy. And so I, I thought that I had done my research. I, you know, I saw a pelvic floor physical therapist. I, I started running at 12 weeks postpartum. I think it was 12 weeks. Maybe it was six weeks. Gosh, I can't remember. I think it was um, six. As your six friend. weeks. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Keely. Keely's, Keely is one of my, um, now one of my trusted advisors. Um, I should have consulted you back then though. Anyways, so yeah, I guess I started running at six weeks and, you know, started out slow, but then just like ramped up pretty consistently up to like 60 miles, which, you know, for pre-partum Rachel was a very reasonable mileage. Like I would go as high as like 80 miles. So 60 didn't seem crazy, but for where my body was and what type of energy it was putting out with breastfeeding And also knowing that my bones, like anyone who's lactating, their bones are weaker. Um, Not to mention all of the biomechanical changes that go on, not just in the pelvis, but like your whole body, everything's changing. And so you're you're running biomechanics. You're going to put strain on different parts of your, you know, of your hip girdle as well. So retrospectively, it was so obvious, like, oh, first of all, I couldn't believe I was running that much that soon. Second of all, like, um, just considering like the breastfeeding and the bones, like I, yeah, I really regret doing what I did knowing what I know now. Um, I think another thing that like came to light too, after the fact is, you know, being in the Pacific Northwest, I'm vitamin D deficient. So I should have been taking vitamin D, but I wasn't. So, um, that's, yeah, all those things are, it's, it's super disappointing. Cause I think like, if we have another child, I, I really want to just wait like six months before I start running again, because I think you can still build back a lot of strength through, cycling and weightlifting, um, that, that you don't need to necessarily like get back to running as soon as I did, even though I was like listening to what I thought were trusted experts and doing sort of evidence-based what we know, um, I still fell into a very bad trap. And I think we're gonna, we can kind of bounce around a little bit in here. We definitely want to touch, touch on fueling, but I think I want to quickly touch on the the thing that you brought up about breastfeeding and just kind of like feeling ligaments and feeling like it's not even about relative energy deficiency or low energy availability, but that like you made a decision 
consciously, I remember having this conversation with you in Big Bear about weaning Lou in your build up to CIM and that idea mm-hmm. of like just trying to look after your health in that moment, but make the best decisions for you and for your child. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about kind of what led up to making that decision to kind of, I don't know, like how you made the decision for that timeline, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So um, zooming out on like sort of my athletic goals, I am really interested in trying to get into Western states this year and knowing that your bone density stays low for six months after weaning. Like it takes six months after you stop nursing to build that back. Um, I sort of counted back from like when I would need to start doing higher volume to reasonably be prepared to run a hundred miles. And that's basically like March. And that nicely lined up with one year of life for Lewis, which was <laughs> the previous American Academy of Pediatric recommendation. Now it's two years of breastfeeding um, is a recommended duration. But I I first started thinking about that. And then also in my build to CIM, I was having some pain in my foot that my my PT thought was maybe still from, from some joint laxity. Um, like two of my metatarsals were kind of overlapping. And mm-hmm. since I was getting more up on my toes, doing some faster road running, we thought maybe that was due to some persistent joint laxity from nursing. So I figured, okay, I, I think now's a good time. Like lose one year old. I'm six months out from where I would want to be starting to do higher volume for Western States potentially. And I'm having some pain that might be from joint laxity that that actually only takes, I think about a month for the joint laxity to kind of like firm up. So all those signs were just pointing Mm -hmm. to, um, that it was time to stop, which was really sad. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like he was exclusively nursing all day long. Like we had been sort of weaning while we were in Europe and he was, he had like one or two feedings per day at that time. So it was pretty easy to, to just decrease it gradually, but nursing is really sweet and I, I still miss it. So it was, it's a tough decision. And of course there's that perpetual mom guilt as well. Mm -hmm. That's super hard, but sounds like ultimately the right decision. And we'll talk about black Canyon here in a second. A little bit later, but we're really excited for you. Um, Hilly, you wanted to queue up a question, I think, diving more kind of into the nutrition during some of this phase. Yeah, because I think I think it's important to kind of get into it. And I don't know, I mean, you know, you're you're in the you're a doctor, you're in the medical field, you know, so it's like and you're very well informed, but there's not a lot of research about this, and like you have to kind of figure it out personally. Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that it's something I love about your Instagram feed is like every time I'm there, it's like, you're always reminding us about the spring energy and like how much you like, it's good to be fueling whether or not you're actually like racing or not. But did you mm-hmm. feel like your, your body was able to tell you about like the energy cues? Like if you needed more, um, did that shift after, after breastfeeding? Um, yeah. Like how are you able to kind of to navigate that? When, when when you stopped breastfeeding? It's so tough. I think historically, I, I just use my period as like my, this is my, my other gauge question. of like, yeah, I'm, I'm healthy. I just got my period like today. I'm so mm-hmm. stoked. Like it's coming back 
regularly now. And it's so comforting to know like, okay, I'm eating enough. I'm not running too much. Like my body feels like it has enough energy that I could potentially build enough, bring another human into the world. But when I was, that's a challenge with breastfeeding because, and I've heard you guys talk about it on this podcast because you have a lot of the same symptoms in relative energy deficiency. So I wasn't getting my period when I was breastfeeding. I like the, I didn't really have the sleep deprivation because Lou is a pretty good sleeper. So I feel like that wasn't, that wasn't too big of an issue, but I mean, it's like that insatiable hunger. Like you're eating all the time. I remember going on like a one, a one hour run where I did four, four, like three minute hill repeats (laughs) and I ate a gel for every single repeat. So I had four, like really um, energy dense gels in an hour. And I was still just like, give me more. I need more. (laughs) So it's really tough. I think even if you're not running, if you're, if you're just trying to feed another human, like you are the sole energy source for that other human to, to grow for four to six months. So like all the weight they're putting on, that's all from you, which Mm -hmm. is just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And then you try to, and then you try to run on top of that. Like the equation just doesn't quite work out. (laughs) Well, and that was a question I had because I mean, I've not had a baby and I, and you know, neither of us have all of us, except for you, obviously (laughs) have not, but I mean, that's something I use too. kind of my, my, my period as a way to track. Like I I know, and, and Keely has talked about this too, if you've done like a big training block, my, my period actually shifts. Like I notice it like comes later. Right. And so then it's like, Oh, I know I need to like stay on top of things like a nutrition wise. And then that's like, I can actually notice changes. Right. Or Mm -hmm. I notice that the duration of my period gets shorter. If, you know, if I'm like doing in, in a big training block and it's a reminder for me to stay on top of nutrition and, shift it back to normal. But if you, if you don't have yours, you know, like that would like, when does that actually come back? And yeah. It varies so much from person to person. Like I, I have kind of a nice little group of friends who all had babies around the same time and we've weaned at different times, but, um, it really varies. Like some people don't get their period back, I think for like a year, Mm -hmm. like some people might never get their period back before they, they might just already get pregnant with the next one. So it depends how long you nurse for. Um, some people will continue nursing, but maybe just like once a day and they might, they might still just get their period back with nursing less. So there's no guarantee of when you'll get it back, which is for an athlete who uses that as like a precious, um, tool. It's really, it's really difficult. Right. And I mean, obviously that's, it's all estrogen, like is all related to bone health too. So that's obviously why, why I'm saying I, I use it, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, and maybe it's even more of just like being really in tune with how you're feeling. It's like, if you're, you know, we, we talked about this too, with even like cravings during your period, it's normally normal to like have a higher demand on like a reliance on carbohydrates. If you're like craving that thing, it's okay maybe to eat it because it's your body's cue telling you. So maybe it's the same, the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super, super individual. And yeah. I guess to kind of like round out talking about this thing specifically, wanted to reflect on what you would maybe change in your next potential mm-hmm. postpartum 
journey, given the experience that you've had over the last year? Yeah. So I think just not, not rush. I said this before and I'll say it again, like not rushing back into running, not, not thinking about like bouncing back, but you know, I feel like I did a good job of embracing my pregnant body and my postpartum body and just like watching it all happen, being like, Oh, this is fascinating. Like, (laughs) this is really cool from a, from a physiologic standpoint. Um, and just like not yeah, definitely not running at six weeks, even if I have a, a trusted expert in my ear saying you're good to go like a pelvic floor savant <laughs> in my ear saying you're good to go. I will wait like until that child is at least starting solids. So probably four to six months. Um, that's a big one. Like, I mean, I'll hike, I'll bike, I'll do all that stuff, but you know, Faith Kipyagon, she, I don't think she started running for like six months and then she got back like, you know, you know, she's done now. Everybody knows what she's done. So clearly there's some, there's some wisdom there. Um, and then yeah, vitamin D that's huge. I think, so I also started taking calcium when I got my injury. Um, and that's not so evidence-based, but it makes sense to me that, you know, you lose a lot of calcium in, breast milk and that's a important building block for bone. So I would, I would just probably keep doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just really focus on like the strength and of course, embrace that time with your, with your newborn. Like um, there's really no, even, and I can even say this as a, as a professional athlete, whose kind of career depends on getting good performances. Like I think hopefully we keep pushing that for like, keep pushing for support for pregnant and postpartum times, because I think for the well-being of everyone, including the sponsors, like we need to not push people to go back too soon. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you get injured, that's just going to push you back even farther. And I guess with all that said, like the pressure to get back was all placed on me. Like my team manager called me and was like, Hey, you don't have to race it all this whole year. Like, I don't care. I just want you to like be healthy and happy. So this was all coming. That's massive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's not always the case. Yeah. I mean, historically contracts had that six month injury clause that also pertained to pregnancy. And that was a huge, a huge pressure to get back to racing for professional women. Totally. Yeah. And we're, it's good that we do have some pregnancy clauses in contracts now that do help us. Um, not that they're the best, but they're a step in the right direction. Yeah. I've been thinking like, wouldn't it be cool if there could be a way to get like bone density scans in a much quicker fashion? So you could almost like track it along your journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be I pretty did, cool. I had a DEXA scan done and I had, so they looked at like one vertebrae and one spot in the mm-hmm. pelvis, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. Like my pelvis bone density was normal, but my vertebral bone density was low. Mm. And they they were like, I don't really want to test this because it's going to be low because you're nursing, but we can just have it as a reference point maybe. So I never got a follow-up one, but I do think that would be a really genius idea if there was a way to get some some quick data mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, better, yeah. better continuous imaging. Mm-hmm. I'm calling this next section, Keely. Um, listener write-ins that are from Keely, um, because really it's uh, it's advice that she needs, I think, desperately. Um, 
So to be fair, we also do get a ton of listener write-ins like, how do you balance this? How do you balance this? <laughs> so a uh, listener question from Keely herself says, <laughs> so you are a lady who wears many, many hats. Not only are you a professional trail runner and a mama and many, many other things, you are also a medical student and soon-to-be resident. And we should add an, an, a soon-to-be MD, PhD officially because um, she's extra brilliant. And <laughs> Keely wants to know, how you have balanced all of these things over the years. I mean, I think anyone who does a lot of things would say like, there's no such thing as like true balance. I mean, I'm, I'm never like perfectly, you know, doing all the things all at once, but you like, you know, you look ahead at your calendar and you say, Ooh, I have a, I have an easy rotation in med school. What race am am I going to do now? And I, um, yeah, I think it's like, you like you give and take between all of these different things and each thing receives more or less priority at any given time. So yeah, I would say there's, there's not really like a perfect balance, but it's more of just like a push and pull between all the things. Yeah. You handle it with a lot, a lot of grace. I will say, I feel like it's very, very impressive. The other kind of question in this realm was wondering, I think a lot of us feel this in our jobs or having been graduate students, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that you have this great balance point between your multiple identities in a way. And we're wondering if you have felt that if, if having different identities or jobs, you know, Rachel, the doctor, Rachel, the student, Rachel, the mom, Rachel, the runner, like, has that helped you kind of find ways to segment and balance? Absolutely. Like, and I think injury really like having a stress fracture this spring, it made me just like appreciate and adore my medical career so much because I was able to like really sink my teeth into this ICU rotation that I was on, which I was going to have to do anyways, because it was so time intensive, but like having that outlet to be like, I'm just going to be like, so, so present and so into this. And I won't even have time to think about the fact that I'm injured right now. Um, it's really nice to be able to have things that like center you and give you purpose when other things are going wrong. Um, I think you grad students and scientists in the room can also relate to that feeling of experiments going wrong and like having just failure after failure. And I think running is a really nice antidote to that because as long as you don't get injured, the more you run and the like the stronger you get, the faster you'll be. It's like very much gives you what what you put in. Whereas a lot of times with research, that is not quite how the the calculation works out. So nice to have some some feeling of progress. Yeah, that positive feedback loop is uh, hard to come by sometimes it feels like. Yeah, kind of, I guess this is a great reflection point too. talking about like, yeah, that that idea that sometimes jobs have a roller coaster element to them as well. We're wondering what you've learned in your work in the hospital that or or even in in research, because you spent a lot many, many years working on the PhD portion, five years as a PhD student um, and then candidate and now official PhD. Um, What have you taken from that and then been able to apply to your running endeavors? Hmm. I think, I think the PhD specifically, like graduate school and medical school are so, so different, um, in like every possible way. But I think graduate school specifically, just like 
that required true grit. Um, and I think being able to pick yourself up after multiple failures and know, like, if this means something to me and I keep at it, I will eventually get to where I want to go. And I think that lesson can be applied to ultras. And maybe, maybe I haven't seen it yet, but just like reminding myself that I can do hard things. And that doesn't just mean like intellectually, but also physically, hopefully we will see. But it gives me, gives me some confidence, like that I got through that. Like maybe someday I can also get through a hundred miles. Oh, I I think you can. Um, and speaking of running 100 miles, Keely, you got to tee this next one up because you got to hype hype our girl up a little bit here. Let her let her know how good her uh, her end of 2023, start of 2024 has been. She's muted. She's excited, Sorry. but she's muted. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. I always have to stay muted just because my dogs can be savages. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm always your hype girl. But it's like ever since you've come back from the injury, you seem to be kind of in such a groove, like mentally and physically. Um, obviously you ended 2023 with a sixth place at OCC and then a fourth place at Kodiak, which was really just to get you a spot at next year's UTMB series final. Um, and then a fifth place at CIM, which is just so awesome. So fast. Yeah. So awesome. And then most recently you just won and set a 45 minute course record at the 30 K race in Hong Kong. And so we just want to know how you're feeling. Like, how are you feeling with the racing and talk us through some of the race in Hong Kong? Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm grooving with the racing. It's su- It's been super fun. Um, I did a bunch of races over in Europe and like didn't place super highly. Um, that was my, that was my, what I was referring to earlier when I said there was like a public fumbling back to fitness, but I just mm-hmm. really wanted to race, you know, it had been so yeah. long. So um, it feels good to have all of the work start coming together and the things that I've been working on to start to see some results. And I think OCC was really like the first time that I felt that. And then, yeah, CIM went really great as well. Um, which was, which was really satisfying because I really wanted that marathon block just under my belt. I think that gave me a lot of confidence And then, yeah, it was fun to be over in Hong Kong. We really just went because Tyler wanted to do the 100K. And then I was like, if I'm going over, I want to do something too. So um, they they got me in the 33K and it was so, it was super fun. Um, You know, they say there's a lot of stairs over there. And that is, that is so true. (laughs) Oh, how were the stairs? Were they like hikeable stairs or could you run them or did they have like a path next to them? Every different mm. style of stair, like concrete, stone, sand, rock, like steep stairs, gradual stairs, short, long, you name it. Uphill, downhill. Yeah. Uphill, sideways. downhill. Yeah, sideways. Like, I mean, it was super challenging to find a rhythm because it was just very, um, it just varied a lot. So you'd be trying to run fast downhill and just you're like, Oh, wow. They're really close together. Now my eyes are blurring. I cannot tell where to put my foot. Yeah. A lot of paved trail there too. I found, I was like, didn't know I was preparing for a road race. Uh, That's my mistake. Uh-huh. Yeah. The ground, the ground is really hard. There's a lot of like running, running through the jungle, like on a sidewalk almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. 
Yeah, as someone who loves posting about post-race uh, fueling stats, I've been loving all of your post-run and race, like, shout-outs to your fueling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you debrief the audience on the fueling you did for the 33K? Okay. Well, I think I had, I think I had like 80 grams per hour of carbohydrates. Yeah, she's been crying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been trying yeah. so hard to eat, just eat so much. <laughs> um gosh okay do i do like a i i try to just get like a calorie bomb in the in the soft flasks mm-hmm. so um i'll do like a really dense calorie drink in the soft flasks and then just like a lot of um awesome sauce mm-hmm. obviously <laughs> um, nice. and then i'll like i'll sprinkle a few can of berries in i can't remember like exactly what i ate at at that race, but I do remember how many grams of carbs I had. Cause I, Keely, I always think of you, like I lay out all my wrappers and I just think Keely would be so proud of me. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I launched about our most recent publication, she messaged me like, wait, what do you mean? It says 30 to 60. I've been doing hundred. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's just the ACSM guidelines. It's very vague. And it's also for just the hour to two and a half hour range. And we're running much longer than that. So you're good. <laughs> Yeah. But, Ruth Croft does a really good job too. I feel like she's always yeah. pulling wrappers upon mm-hmm. wrappers out of her pockets post run. Yeah. It's really, really cool to see. Which like, yeah, people just need to see. And I've been so cool. It's been so cool that you've been posting about it too. Cause I just think the more people that are posting about it, the more we can help change that narrative. Um, yeah. But I think one of the things that I've noticed, Elise, and I'd be curious to hear if you have, is like, have you noticed it, it pour over into like your daily life? Like, have you felt better post-run, like more, like, is your brain functioning better? Like, have you noticed it kind of outside of the run at all? Now that you say that, I totally have. I haven't thought about it um, super consciously, but like, I do think it, it spurs on recovery a lot quicker. Like if you fuel well during a run and don't totally deplete yourself, I think, it helps a lot. And it also helps to just like kind of keep your gut online so that you can just eat immediately after the run as well. Like before we started this call, I was talking about how bring, I bring like all my drinks into the sauna, but I also bring in like a buffet of snacks as well. (laughs) And I think, I think without, without the fueling that's happening during the run, it's a lot harder to just immediately eat a lot of food. Mm -hmm. And actually, so the guy who ended up winning the Hong Kong hundred K, this guy would get to an aid station. He would sit down and he would chug some drink, chug another drink. And then he would eat a bunch of noodles, like lickety split. (laughs) And I I saw that and I was like, okay, I need to practice this. Like (laughs) we all need to, this needs to be part of our training. Like you run to the car, you eat as fast as you can. And then you like charge off down the trail because that's not Mm -hmm. that's not something that that I ever really practice like I'm eating some work to do I'm not starving Mm -hmm. totally when I was eating noodles in Thailand I was like having a date with JT you know I was not eating them quickly (laughs) you need to learn to shovel yeah, yeah, it's not even slurping anymore. It's it's shoveling. It's shoveling shoveling okay. is important. <laughs> and Fuzhou was crewing him and she just kept like shoving things in his mouth. He was just like, yeah, it was oh, awesome. That's, That's so amazing. Yeah, one thing that I've really, I've always gotten a chuckle out of and I really appreciate from the two of you, from Keely and, and Rachel in particular, is your little Portland big dogs got to eat attitude. Yeah. And I think that we need to push that narrative onto a wider 
audience. And so kind of in that vein, like, how do you think we can change the narrative around fueling in our sport? I think it is being changed thanks to people like you three by talking about it and like having a platform to talk about it. And then I think, I mean, a lot of like professional athletes are more, um, they're promoting just eating. And I think it wasn't that long ago where it was sort of the narrative was, Oh, like eat, just eat salad. Like, (laughs) I think, I think the better question not to like poo poo your question, but it's like, do it. I think, I think in trail running, like, like when I got into trail running, Keely was like, Hey, the best eater always wins. Like in trail running, it's always been celebrated as like a special skill and a secret weapon. Like if you can eat really well, but I I'm curious whether that's the case in track and road. And the Mm -hmm. reason I say this is because on Wednesday mornings, I train with a ton of track and road athletes with the Bowerman elite team. And I'm the only one who's eating gels between reps on the track. And I'm the only one bringing a buffet into the sauna after. (laughs) And I wonder if like, maybe, maybe in trail running, it's like, it's, it's there, like we're there, but maybe Mm -hmm. we need to extend our message to track and road. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, in the small analysis we did in my most recent publication, we did find that like the track and road athletes who primarily race track and road, who also ran trails did fuel a little bit less. Um, Mm. I think where the issue comes in our sport is that we don't maybe know how to adjust for these really long runs. And that's where we're like coming up a little bit short, but yeah, to your point, I do think we're definitely on the path to changing that narrative, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, I think we still have a long ways to go to like getting to our true optimal performance. We're going to make Rachel a hat days. to wear in the sauna. What? Eat more bitches. We're going to we're gonna make you a hat to wear in the sauna with your snack buffet that says like big dogs got to eat on it. You're our marketing, <laughs> our marketing campaign. Yeah, I should say like when we do marathon workouts, like everyone is eating gels, but it's just it's just for like the weekday, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's reasonable that people aren't necessarily eating when we're, when we're running for one hour, but it's more me like, oh, I want to train my gut to eat even while I'm running faster paces, especially while I'm running faster paces. So, um, yeah. Interesting. We're coming for you track, track and field and road running. We'll see what we can, we can get done. Speaking of eating while running at faster paces, you're stepping up in distance yeah. In just a couple of weeks, this yeah, will come girl. out before um, Black Canyon 100K. And we are, I wrote it in all caps. I think I went in and and, and this is my one edit to Keely's outline was, we are so excited for you. Um, and we were wondering how you're feeling about getting on the Black Canyon 100K start line. I'm feeling really good. I got two great pacers lined up. One of them is on this call. We got a um, wink from Keely. We love that. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Um, yeah, it. I haven't run 100k since 2019, I think. Wait, you've done um, so Waldo. Been, yeah, I did Waldo. Um, Sean O'Brien was my first one, and then CCC. So, yeah, it's been a while, but it's something that I've I've wanted to I've wanted to get into Western states, like feel like it'd just be so cool to 
do Western States and then start residency like right after. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the, the thing about like doing black canyons is I chose that race because I think partially because I have a lot of confidence knowing that like Keely smashed it so much last year. And, and while we're very different, like we have the same coach and I also have her like whispering in my ear, good things. So I think that, yeah, that gives me a lot of confidence. Um, but yeah, the weird thing about the golden ticket is like, you just have to do these races that, that you might not otherwise choose to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like Jamil and Jubilee and I think it's going to be super fun and it's going to be competitive. It's gonna yeah, be it's going to so be fun. We're chasing down everybody. I was looking at the, I'll be doing media. I'll do, be doing the pre-race panels and a bunch of the live broadcast and we're streaming cool. the live broadcast from the finish line. So you better come Ooh. across the finish line and just come directly to me. It's going to be yes, awesome. Ma'am. We'll let you in, intercept like Lou and hug Keely and all that kind of stuff and, and Tyler. And then, and then we'll, we'll steal you, but um, it's going to be really, really cool of note though. Um, you are doing Black Canyon while you've while you also at CIM in that amazing fifth place run qualified for the Olympic trials. And so I'd just love to hear a little bit about, you know, really making that decision of being like, yeah, Black Canyon is where I want to be over having the the honor or prestige from being on the uh the potential Olympic trials marathon start line. Yeah, I think I I kind of made the decision even before I qualified for the trials that I was going to focus on black canyons. Um, I just, I knew that in the past when I kind of, when you try to do it all, that's the recipe for not doing anything very well. So I knew I wasn't going to do both of them. And I knew that it was more important to me to try to, to get into Western States by doing black canyons. And I mean, it feels kind of, crazy to to be like well I'm not gonna run the Olympic trials because like what's cooler than that um but that's the cool thing about trail running is like you you can do whatever you want to do and nobody really cares like I mean I think the most important thing for anyone doing this sport regardless of whether you're just starting or you're a professional like do the races you want to do because you want to do them not because you think other people think they're prestigious or important like if they're not important to you you're not gonna you're not gonna do well there so it just felt like the right the right call for me can you guys hear luke crying in the background he just woke up from his nap oh no we'll we'll get you out of here out of here shortly and you can see baby luke he's good with ty but i just want to make sure you can't no we can't i can't hear him i would love to though that made me happy (laughs) um uh, i think keely was kind of prompting this next question but just thoughts about like have you had any specific thoughts about coming back to this 100k in and around your training like post baby like making Mm -hmm. this ramp and push to the 100k yeah i think i mean i made it really clear like i do not want to you can hear him now can't you yeah but he's so so cute we love him He's my favorite baby. He's, I think, all of our favorite babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just having our tech. We've got tech issues on one side. We got baby issues on the other side. It's great. All right, Ty's, Ty's getting them taken care of. Um, so 
what was I saying? Oh, Black Canyons. Yeah. So I knew that I did. I can't do that much volume because my bones are still kind of weak. So I'm not running longer than 60 miles a week, which feels kind of wild to not run more than I wonder if we should just wait. Oh, no, I can, we can barely hear him. You're good. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I'm trying to do some back to back long runs to just get myself that um sort of long long training that you need to run 100k um actually i was talking to nuria picus about this at hong kong 100k who's a freaking legend i legend. love that woman i was like do you have any advice for someone who like wants to get into the longer stuff and she's like you know you just have to do it because you're never you're never going to run 100 miles in training. You're never going to run 100K in training. So you need to just put yourself into that race and kind of see how it goes for you, um, which I thought was so simple and so wise. And I think while that applied more to the 100 mile thing, I think it really applies to this training block as well, because I know that I'm super fit. I get feedback like that I'm super fit, but I, I don't, it's not the same as marathon training where it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I hit these splits. It's just like, you just kind of venture into the unknown and that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah. I feel like I have this conversation with athletes all the time. They're like, how do I know I'm ready for a hundred mile? I'm like, well, there's probably no physiological metric. That's like, Oh, yep. You're a hundred percent ready to run a hundred miles. <laughs> In fact, there's probably never going to be one of those, but it's like, can you train yourself to a really good level of fitness? But then can you also train your mind? Can you train your gut? And can you like stay really focused during it to like push yourself as yeah. far as you can go? And it's like, those things in my mind are the most important. And year over mm -hmm. year, it's so different. Like my 2018 versus my 2019 Western States had identical performances literally to like the minute, um, wow. which is silly and very frustrating. But my one year, I had so much flexibility and I could in 2019 had so much flexibility. I think my peak week was like 120 miles. And but in 2018, I was like, just just dropped out of grad school, was like working in the ER, was like super stressed. My biggest week was the week I raced the canyons endurance run 100k so it was like an 80 mile week and that was my peak week by a lot because i raced 100k that week and it's just like mm -hmm. i ran identical performances and it's wow. like you know it's just i think we get really caught up in the like what is the best absolute best training mm -hmm. for everyone and it turns out like it has to fit with your life and like your life right now yep. says like hey your bones are still like getting back to full strength so you have to like yeah. temper a little bit you can get Reasonable. so much work done and yeah a lot less than we think we need. One thing that my, the, the guy who coached me for the marathon said at the beginning of the marathon training block is he said, we don't want any days. We don't want any like hundred percent days. We just want a bunch of humble 80% days. And I loved that so much because I think a lot of times we put pressure on ourselves to like do the perfect workout and have the perfect effort. And I think that leads to us pushing a lot harder than we should and not recovering as much as we should. And so then we just get so beat down and we step on the line feeling pretty tired. And I, like for CIM, I stepped on the line feeling really excited and like mm -hmm. I couldn't, I saw the start line and I didn't feel dread. I felt like excitement and eagerness to have that day unfold. And I hadn't felt that feeling in a long time. And I think that's probably a sign that I was like, just doing too much. 
And I'm trying to carry that forward into my training for Black Canyons as well. Like, I'm not like no perfect weeks, no perfect days, just like some some humble 80% all the way through. Yeah, you got to leave room for cream, right? Like it's like leaving room <laughs> for like the finishing, the finishing bits of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're coming up on on when we need to let you go. And so we have, I think, two final questions. And one is the, the first one's one of my favorite questions to ask people. And it's just this reflection of like, is there one thing that you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago? Something that you would like to tell your younger self? I think just that like things will work out the way they're meant to. It's so cliche, but I think 10 years ago, I was so much more stressed than I am now and so much more easily perturbed by little things going wrong. And if I could, and I feel like my parents told me this all the time, just like, it's okay. Things are going to work out. Like you will get into college. Like (laughs) it's going to be all right. And I think the the sooner we can really embrace that, the better our lives are going to be. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about aging is like you have perspective and you know what's worth worrying about. And you just don't have that when you're younger. So mm. yeah, just like really to to relax and enjoy the ride and know that things will things will be okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> Healy, close us out. Bring us through our last question. I feel like you've already answered it, but maybe this one needs to be like a really sharpshooter answer. Um, What is one thing that you would want to tell all of the new mamas out there looking to get back to running? Be patient. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. my sharpshooter answer. Like there's no rush. There's Mm -hmm. no rush. You're going to, you, I promise you, you will be back stronger and you will be back stronger the more patient you are. It sounds confusing, but that's the truth. <laughs> I think that's so important. That's your sounds elevator like pitch. Life. Yeah. Sounds it. like life. Confusing, but the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Great. Rach, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Yeah. Um, so mostly on Instagram at Rachel Ray Drake and also on Strava. I think Strava is my preferred social media platform, actually. I think I'm just Rachel Drake on Strava and the picture is me like laying on a bush. So you see that one. That's me. That's the right Rachel Drake. I love that. We'll link all of those. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Well, Rachel Drake doesn't need much of an outro because I'm sure like all of us in studio, you at home are thinking, wow, how can this woman be any more amazing than she already is? Hillary, was there anything that stood out to you specifically during that interview? Um, I think it's a cop out to say everything, but no, I'm just uh, I'm just constantly impressed by her, and I think she's such a good example because she's she's balancing so many so many things and and like you know tackling them at a very high level, and so and I think she is very cognizant and aware of like the balance that it takes, and uh, I think she's just a, a great role model for not only women and moms, but just for everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. Keely, anyone, anything you want to add about your bestie? (laughs) No, I'm just excited to be able to pace her at Black Canyons and yeah. Love to chat with her as always. Are you giving her the advice of lifting her feet up at Black Canyons? 
Yeah, that'll be one of the things I say. <laughs> Rachel, lift your feet up. If, if, if you guys don't remember from last year, uh, Racing, Miss Miss Racing Grayson Murphy had was pacing Keely in, and I think her only job was to yell, lift your feet up over and over again. So, <laughs> so true. I was being so lazy by the end there. And yeah, Grayson was a godsend. I took one really bad fall that like, I feel like I was injured for that. Not injured, but like my, the area I fell on was sore for like six weeks and after oh. that fall Grayson just looked at me and goes not again nope not again <laughs> no, no, no. like we can't have another one of those I'm like yeah. okay yeah <laughs> so Keely has all the practice all the info needed to pace Rachel Drake at the Black yeah. Canyon 100k that we are really excited to see play out because that field is I know so deep it's mm. a I was very crazy. tempted once I saw the starting list just because it was so stacked I'm like this isn't fair I want to rage with everybody but I'm yeah, gonna be a 60k and then I can only rage for four hours instead and that's way more yeah. doable for me and right I'll now. be doing commentary <laughs> for you raging so that'll be fun oh, um, yeah I'm doing commentary both days which will be awesome so I guess to, to kind of close out on Rachel before we dive into a little society slam is that if you are interested in learning more about Rachel's philosophy of balancing some of these things, particularly running on the roads and running on the trails and how she finds that they're both beneficial to one another. Um, Ruby Wiles wrote a really amazing piece of, over for Free Trail. It came out uh, just a week ago. And so we'll link that in our show notes. And it's really, the, the responses from Rachel are really beautiful in it as well. So I'd encourage you all to go check it out. And with that, let society slam. Where should we start? Who wants to start? <laughs> I mean, the first one I, is one I put in that I was just reading the other ones. I don't know what those. I put in the other ones. Yeah. Hillary, why don't you read that first one? And then you can explain the image that none of us can see. Okay. Okay. Because this I is mean, an audio it. podcast. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I know. Including us. We also don't know what the image is. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a photo of like a little cute little package. It's like a little oh, present. Oh, we got to repost that. that. Let's repost it. Okay. Okay, what do they say? Our South African love, 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 <laughs> love podcasters. Uh, okay, so we've got a hey, hello, hi from South Africa. I'm a long standing fan of your pod and together with a friend of mine who shares the same sentiments. Love nothing better than a post episode debrief while on a run, obviously. So this year for my birthday, part of my gift was a homemade pack from the from the feed. Um, had to share, and she says, see below. We're big fans of you and all had... Um, uh, yeah. And all the good content you're putting out there. Thank you. And so I think because of the, so news from the feed, this is breaking news, breaking news that they're going to allow oh, to say this. Yes, I am. Okay. Where they're opening up, <laughs> they're opening up a distribution center in Europe. And so they're expanding things. And so I think the thing here is that the feed isn't, doesn't ship to South Africa yet. Yeah. And so basically they made their own little feed. Like it was basically just a bunch of different nutrition um, yeah. snacks and it was wrapped. It said the feed period. So <laughs> that's really so cool. I love that so much. That's a sweet, a sweet yeah. little birthday gift. Yeah, that's it was cute. <laughs> that's amazing awesome. so it's coming hopefully it's, it's going to come over there just you know maybe fly 10 hours uh north up to europe and then get your order there <laughs> yeah i'll be i'll be the goo the goo and spring and scratch mule for people i brought a bunch of stuff to south africa this past year for that mm -hmm. very reason so well uh we can we can hook some girls up um oh i'll read gosh, this next so one <laughs> it says it says sorry if this is weird 
Never weird. weird. Never, never weird. weird. Never TMI on this on this uh this pod. So they write, sorry if this is weird, but you have talked so openly for so long about fueling properly. I finally did that at a race this weekend and not only beat my time goal by almost two hours, but set a new personal best of 4.5 hours and got on the podium. I ate so much and felt so good. I kept waiting for the wheels to fall off, but they never did. As a woman in recovery for disordered eating, thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> I have chills. I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for sending that in too. That's, that's yeah, really cool for us to hear. It's really cool. And thank you for like having the power to say that. I know it's hard to admit, but it's awesome. This uh, this next little bit, next Keely one. also put in is a, a shout out. Some love, some love for Keely and all of her science nerding. Yeah, my latest publication finally came to fruition uh, in the International Journal of Exercise Science, and everyone's been like reposting, resharing. That's a big deal. And yeah. it was really cool. And it's just like I love it because it's like the message that I've been trying to put out there for a while, and it's like. Again, it's one of those studies that you don't look at the data and you're like, oh, that's so shocking, but it's there and it's pretty concrete and it surveyed a ton of runners. And I love that the community is like getting behind it and also putting it out there and, and challenging people to change and like fuel more. And hopefully it's just one brick of the of the foundation of us changing the narrative for the whole um, community. And so thank you for everyone showing me some love on that. Um, and as a side, always send us your post-run snack picks because we love them. And it's always a great way to showcase how much you ate. <laughs> Yay! I love it. Well, yeah, I feel like I need to get better at sending pics of all my wrappers because that's what it is, right? Yeah. It's like the wrapper mm -hmm. tally after a long yeah. run, be it be it gels or oatmeal cream pies or whatever you're eating out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, send it yeah, all. Maybe we'll do like a week, like a little thing next week where it's like we'll post ours and then we'll see like we'll repeat, we'll repost whoever does theirs. Yeah, send it to us. Yeah. Send it all and open the floodgates. <laughs> With that, we're going to let you all go for the week. But thank you so much for tuning in every single time. If you like this podcast, um, we don't do this very often, but please uh, hit subscribe. If you've made it this far, you're a true fan. And if you're not subscribing <laughs> to the podcast, I beg you to go do it now. <laughs> it truly does help other people find this podcast, share it with your friends and family. And as always, give us as many stars as allowed. If that's five, awesome. If that's 12, heck yeah. <laughs> and uh, until next time, we'll see you out on the trails. Bye.